Hello, welcome to the Rubber Duck Dev Show. I'm Creston. And I'm Michael. And today we're going to talk about Postgres features, specifically explain and explain, analyze, and probably a little bit of PG stat statements as well. So developers who are interested in Postgres, this is an episode for you. Uh, but before we get into that, typically we talk about our weekend reviews. So I'll go ahead and start first. So been working diligently on my uh, scaling Postgres course, my performance optimization course, basically, and also doing a lot of plate spinning because I have a lot on my plate with a couple of different shows and consulting and my product and all these types of things. So trying to find the time for everything fitted in is really quite hard. So a lot of plating spinning plates this week, um, but still doing the best I can to to do the work and, and get the course across the finish line <laughs> in an acceptable period of time. Uh, but but that's me. Uh, what about you, Michael? Nice. Uh, sounds very familiar. Um, <laughs> also working a little bit on my product, um, adding um, improving a tip we have around slow planning time. Uh, so that's I've been in the weeds of that. And uh, also recording, uh, do, also do a Postgres related uh, podcast so um just started doing guests on that this month and have four of those lined up so two just just recorded one edited and published and two to record so lots more editing work ahead sadly but it'll be i'm looking forward to those conversations but i need to prep for those as well so yeah plenty of plates spinning a couple of smashed in the background uh, but <laughs> try not to show it to others <laughs> right yeah, yeah, I, I need to get on and, and I need to book a lot more guests as as well in the future. I, I kind of do just in time <laughs> booking, which is it's not great. So I, I could definitely feel with you with that. All right. So um, let's go ahead and get started talking about Postgres. And before we get into that, do you mind giving us a little bit of your background about how you got into Postgres, like where you kind of came from to start learning about it yeah sure and i'd love to hear yours as well in a moment um so my my background i actually studied maths at university and ended up working at a company called redgate software who make a lot of developer tools and database tools but mostly at the time it was for SQ, uh, sql server and microsoft sql server right and i ended up so, but they, cut, they used to do these week long, they called them down tools weeks where the whole development team got to work on whatever they wanted for a week, that, as long as it was like somewhat helpful to the company. And one of these um, weeks, one of the developers worked on a tool for doing a, an equivalent tool to one of our most, more popular tools, but instead of for SQL Server, they did it for MySQL. And then uh, later down the line, a team built a product for Oracle and I ended up leading the team that, that ran those tools. So the Oracle tools, the MySQL tools, and we kept seeing Postgres come up in conversations. And I think if I'd, I was there for five years, but I think if we, I was there for a bit longer, hopefully we could have uh, persuaded management to give us a bit of time and a few people to build the tools for Postgres as well. Um, now what, what, what did, I'm sorry, what, what did some of these tools do? 
So the more popular ones that we built for the other databases as well were around comparing databases uh, and source controlling the schema. So you okay. could compare schema and deploy between, let's say, like a it, it, let's say it was an issue in production that you hadn't seen in staging, or the other way, other way round. Compare the two, see what differences there are. Um, version control those changes. If you want to compare the data, sometimes you want to do like a deployment of data, or sometimes you want to. Anyway, there might be data differences between two databases that should be the same. That tools for comparing and deploying those and version controlling the schema was yeah, they were the big like, ones that we did. Like a diff on steroids, but for databases. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and um, kind of migration aware as well. So just diffing that you might. Uh, not want to do a diff in a certain way. Let's say you notice that a table in one, you might not want to do a certain type of deployment. You might want to make sure it's not going to take production down by running that uh, <laughs> script or, and the order matters as well, right? Like, um, you can't just run migrations in any order. So there's some logic around right, those right. as well. Yeah. Okay. So, so you were doing that at Redgate and then, and you heard, you know, Postgres, it was a desired additional platform to add for the tooling. So where, where did it go from there? Yeah. And then, so that this was like 2010 to the end of 2014. And then I moved to a startup in London. So this was up in Cambridge in the UK. And then I moved to London and worked at a company called GoCardless who do payments. Yep. But yep. they're, they, they were big Postgres users and loved it. And the team there were, it was, their enthusiasm was infectious and it was a really uh, impressive team. I, I learned a lot from, I was only there two years, just under two years, but I learned so much from the people there and them being such big Postgres advocates made me realize it wasn't just large companies trying to save money moving to Postgres, but it was also startups picking it uh, as their database to scale on. It was, it was being picked not just by old kind of, uh, cost conscious companies, but by new growth focused companies too. Okay. So yeah, that was my, that was then my first kind of experience seeing it being run in production and then, uh, but I wasn't involved. I wasn't in that team. Um, and then what were you doing at go cardless, for example? Yeah, all sorts in the end, actually, but I, I went, I I was supposed to be going to do product management, which was my, the main thing I did at the previous company, but I ended up then startups are a fun uh, world. There were only 35, 35 or so people when I joined and what they ended up really needing was somebody to run their customer success of all things. So I ended up running customer success there for about a year and a bit before going back into product management somewhere else. Um, okay. so yeah, it's. It's a funny world, but yeah, uh, then basically I had it in my head that Postgres was a really cool platform. I loved that it was open source um, and it felt like a good platform to build for. But so yeah, I did, I did run like want to someday build software that I could run myself or build software for pe for developers and Postgres seemed like a great platform for it. So in spare time in kind of evenings and weekends started building or started interviewing people and finding out like, what should we build? Like, what could we build that would be useful? And with a friend built PG Mustard in like evenings, weekends, one day a week, that kind of thing. But yeah, what about you? How did you, have you answered this before on the show or how did you get involved with Postgres? 
I, I think I've probably answered it somewhere. I can't remember where, but um, basically, uh, I, I, I've mentioned this multiple times, but in in different shows and different uh, in different ways. But I actually started doing, um, I guess, my earliest kind of technical thing related to databases is I was doing a conversion project. So I was actually a project manager, and they needed someone to actually who knew something about the databases. And a little bit before I was a project manager, I had a lot of systems administration experience. So not so much a software developer, but like setting up computers, setting up servers, configure, configuring them, optimizing them, things of that nature. And we were we kind of needed a DBA of sorts. So I kind of took on those responsibilities and it was for Microsoft SQL Server. So nice. I did that. Yeah. So I did that in that capacity. And you know, like a part-time project manager, quarter time or whatever you would call it, you know, database administrator. But in that, I was working for like a line of business unit, basically fundraising arm at a university. So I started mm. needing to do all sorts of reports. So I really got to understand SQL and all the data and running reports for people that were asking questions. So that kind of gave me mo more expo exposure in that area. I eventually moved to another institution and started using a product that used Oracle. And I kind of got the Oracle DBA responsibilities as well, because again, it was a more technical role. So kind of learned Oracle and whatnot. And then it was in 2009-ish that I started my company and we were going to be doing a software as a service application for that does uh, basically online giving forms, online event registration forms. And so we had to pick a database. And, you know, knowing the price of Oracle around that time or Microsoft SQL, you know, we weren't going to be using the Microsoft platform, didn't have money for Oracle. So it was only going to be MySQL and PostgreSQL. So basically I, I gave the opinion, even though like at the time we were using Rails and a lot of Rails... Like, I think Basecamp was using MySQL, but I'm like, I like the fact that PostgreSQL at least had functions or something semi-approximating stored procedures in Oracle and Microsoft SQL Server. So it just felt more mature in that area. Mm -hmm. And I think that was probably the main reason, but it was still a little bit of fate. I don't know, probability that I said, all right, let's use PostgreSQL. So basically, I took my knowledge, DBA knowledge, and applied it to PostgreSQL. So that's kind of how I got started with PostgreSQL. I, I never used it at any company before the one I founded in 2009-ish. So, so that's kind of my background. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. So, so um, what do you, are you... Do you use any other databases or is pretty much pure PostgreSQL? No, I think, well, first, yeah, for, I also run a software as a service business and we, but we try to keep the kind of minimum amount of data we can. So as much as I sometimes am tempted by the allure of having lots of data and therefore giving ourselves performance problems just to be able to, uh, you know, use the product a little bit more for ourselves. Um, no, mostly we just don't store much. Therefore, we don't have much data. We do use Postgres because 
it feel it feel mad not to. Um, but I do the one database I, I, I am keeping an eye on because it well, it's one database and one kind of tool that I'm keeping an eye on. The database is SQLite. I'm fascinated by what the kind of how people are pushing that database at the moment. Um, it feels like a lot of energy around that and a lot of a lot of impressive engineering behind it as well. Um, normally for different use cases than Postgres, but increasingly like maybe not, um, which is interesting. And then the tool that's got DB in the name, but I'm not sure you could call it a database, is DuckDB. It looks really impressive. For oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, so th yeah, these are probably analysis. used for more local or embedded solutions, I guess. Not 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 a hundred percent, but yeah, that's what they were designed for initially. But increasingly, um, you can host them server side. There's no reason you couldn't. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm seeing. Yeah, yeah. I thinking about that. I, you know, any open source project, it's kind of where the core committers want to take it, so it can go. Mm -hmm. Anywhere. I mean, that's what's happened to Postgres, that it has this huge feature set is because people said, I want this, I need this, you know, I'm willing to commit to the code base to do it. And that's where it comes from. Yeah. I mean, my only exposure to SQLite is basically Ruby on Rails. That's kind of like the, the database you don't have to configure, you know, and it comes when you're doing a development project. That's like the default database for it. So I use it used it in so far as that. Um, but yeah, that's my own ex only exposure to it. Are you nice, using it for? Sense. Are you using that for other particular purposes, or you just find it fascinating? In terms yeah, of find it fascinating, database and also okay. as a, yeah, and as a tool builder, it's. I think I'd I'd love to run a comp my own company for like decades and live my whole career, or uh, well, this part at least, after working for other people, work for myself, ideally for the, for the rest of it. And I'd love Postgres to last that long. And I, I personally, I'm betting on it, but I do, you do need to keep your finger on the pulse a little bit and see, you know, if something was to replace this in 20 years time, what would it be? What would it look like? We're, we're probably still going to have similar uh, data patterns. And if the past is anything to go by, we're probably going to end up with bigger volumes in the future. But what we use to manage it might be different. And if so, what does that look like? And what, what would people be using for businesses like ours in the future? What would a simpler thing look like? What would a cheaper thing look like? And what tools do those people need uh, is normally yep. like the next question. I, you know, So um, that's why I keep trying to keep my finger on the pulse a little bit. But yeah, talking of the Basecamp guys, I think I saw a DHH tweeting about SQLite performance. I think they're using it for their once product um the the new right. non-software as a service products that they're letting people install themselves and it's a nice thing that you can package alongside your code and you get have the database there and there like sitting right next to it people don't have to manage it separately so it's it's an interesting use case yeah yeah i'll i'll have to look at that i haven't i haven't looked at that recently um yeah but this is probably a good segue to kind of talk about explain because this is of course related to <laughs> your product and it's a PG mustard. So feel free to talk the pro about the product as well. But, you know, you said in terms of a topic, you know, talk about explain and, and 
so why is that important? Why does someone need to know about that? At least in, in so far as using PostgreSQL. Yeah, and I think this is part of your course, right? I, I linked to your, you had a few lessons and one of them was on the very basics of explain as well. Um, yeah. So it comes up normally for performance reasons. So if you put the word explain um, before your query, if you if so put explain, then you're normally a select query, but any, you know, update, delete, um, and execute that instead of getting the results of the query, or even instead of executing the query, what it will do instead is show you the execution plan. So how Postgres would get you that data or do that operation. And that's really helpful for performance reasons, mostly. So knowing what choices would it make. So often, because SQL is a declarative language, we say what result we want. We don't tell, we don't specify the algorithms to use. Postgres uses a cost-based optimizer to say, I have these, op maybe it doesn't have any options, by the way. Maybe a query can only be executed one way because you don't have any indexes and you're only, you're querying all of the rows from a, t from a small table or something like that. It only has one choice. It won't spend long planning that query because it only has one route. Here's the plan. We're going to scan the table sequentially and maybe we'll stop if you put a limit there at some point. Right. Um, but often if you're joining multiple tables, it can choose which order to join those in. It can choose which strategy to use to join those. Um, it could choose which scan type if you have indexes. So there's a bunch of choices that it can make that are really important for performance reasons. Joining tables in a certain order can make a huge difference to the performance of a query. Uh, choosing an index scan over a sequential scan can be a, a massive difference. Um, so knowing what choices it's making can help you then work out why it's making those choices or things you could do to make it faster. So yeah, that, that's why it's normally performance related that you're looking at this, but it, I guess it could be for other reasons as well. Yeah. I don't, I, I think I probably only use it for performance reasons. I'm try, I'll, I'll have to think if there's any other reason I, w I would. Um, yeah, so um, so in terms of explain, so you also you also mentioned explain analyze. So how, how is that a little different? Yeah, so explain analyze will also execute the query behind the scenes. Now you won't get the results back in the, uh, yourself. You'll get a similar looking query execution plan, but with additional performance data. So the the one that stands out to people, the one that's super valuable normally is the timing data. Um, so you get not only the time that the query took to execute, but also each operation that it did, for example, each scan that it did or the, um, the join operations, how long did each of those take? And that lets you look into where was the bottleneck or is was there one bottleneck or were these all kind of roughly you know lots of things that took a little bit of time uh, so that that can be extremely useful for diagnosing a performance issue so that's that's why explain analyze comes up a lot analyze is just a parameter of explain and it's it, it's a bit confusing because some people might be familiar with there is a separate analyze parameter for uh, Postgres yep. that's used to gather, uh, it's performance related as well. It's used to gather statistics, um, to help the query planner. So it is a 
bit confusing. So if you've ever heard vacuum analyze, that is the same analyze as regular analyze, but it's though neither of those are at all related to explain analyze. Um, so yeah, difficult medium to, ex to explain that over, but, uh, maybe that's a blog post that needs to be written. Um, so yeah, that, but that's only one parameter of explain. It's the most, probably the most useful. Yeah. I'd say it's definitely the most useful parameter for explain, but there's loads of other useful ones as well. Buffers is one that I'd love to see on by default with analyze that gives you information about uh, the amount of work done by the query. So not just how fast it was, but like the data read and where it came, like, was it in memory or was it uh, potentially, did we have to go to disk for that? Did we have to do, did any kind of big operations spill to disk information like that you get via buffers. Then there's also verbose set, like there's, there's loads more settings as well. Um, and yeah, each of those are just parameters for explain to get more information back. Yeah. So, so I hate I've to admit a bit for you. Oh, okay. sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, what do you, when you use explain, do you tend to use explain analyze, um, or do you use more parameters? What's your kind of default? Uh, I, ha I was going to, I was going there. I said, I hate to say it, but I pretty much just use explain analyze. I rarely use buffers because I just, I don't know. I mean, my perspective is okay, where's the, sl where's the slowest node? What's the slowest bottleneck? And I'm just, I just typically use the timing. Um, I guess if it's, it's, it's only if something I'm having trouble understanding about why something is hurt happening a certain way, I might, I might throw in buffers. And I know I've heard, I've read multiple blog posts. I've heard people talk about that, you know, buffers should be, uh, as you say, you know, a default. I was like, okay, but I just, <laughs> In terms of where I look it, on the resulting query plan, I, I basically look for the the node timings uh, for the most part. And it's it's kind of funny, like reading an explain output. I'm when I look at it, I remember back to the scene. Have you ever seen the movie The Matrix? <laughs> yeah. And there's a point yes. at which the guy is looking at the code going going down and he says, how do you read the code or how do you read the word? And, and he says, oh, I just, I see red dress, blonde hair or whatever on the code. And I have a feeling for the people just getting started, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, the feeling that the explain plan output, a lot of people, even new developers, they look at it and it looks like the matrix code. They have no idea what's going on. But once you take a little bit of time to actually understand what each part is, then you kind of look at it, oh yeah, this is slow here because of this and there's too many loops or, or you know, whatever it is. Uh, I may be taking this off a tangent, but do you actually think some of the explain output is a bit, well, challenging for new people? I mean, I can read it now quite easily, but do you think it, it's challenging for new developers to kind of get a hold of? Yeah. and that's kind of why we built the product. Like our yeah, product the, the P is... PG mustard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To solve and that it, pain but... point. <laughs> it really is. And even people that like we noticed, uh, so I was, I spoke to a bunch of people and also, um, watched a lot of online forums where people were asking performance questions and there was back and forth and questions. And 
even when an expert had what looked like all the information, sometimes they had to ask follow-up questions or give choices. Like it, it might be this, it might be that, or um, sometimes the experts would get things wrong. Like they'd misread it slightly or jump to a conclusion. Like uh, I have to catch myself sometimes because the, the arithmetic can be tricky. Like looking, even if you look at the code, like there's no thousand separators in any of the timings, for example. Um, sometimes you don't spot that there are a number of loops and you don't quite like work out that uh, once you multiply that tiny number by that huge number, that exactly. is going to this be... This one millisecond with 10,000 loops means 10,000 milliseconds or 10 seconds. Right? Or even like... If it's seventeen hundredths of a millisecond, and that's times, like you, it, you just think fast, and then you see, oh, it's one hundred seventeen thousand loops. What? Like, so these things add up quickly, and it's taxing. But so if you even even the experts we see can can kind of load it into memory, and then uh, they can if they get distracted ten minutes into looking at a slow query plan, they might have to start again. So there's there's some of these like stuff that humans aren't as good as computers at, and we're not the only tool. Like there's, uh, we were partly inspired by a couple of really good tools. There's a tool by Depez, um, Depez, yep. sorry, yep. uh, explain.depez.com. Great I, tool. And I mispronounced his for years. If you looked at scaling Postgres, my pronunciation of the site name was awful. I just did it by letters. And then I think it was, oh gosh, who was it? Um, I think Lucas Fiddle is it? Oh yeah, PG, PG yes, analyze. Yes, yes. PG analyze. On on, yep. on his one of his videos, he says uh, Depeche. I'm like, I'm such an idiot. <laughs> well, but I mean, yeah, yeah, online, I I've I heard some good advice to never um, never think somebody's less smart because they pronounce something wrongly it probably means they learned it by reading it rather than hear like yeah and yeah. people that read often are some of the like people that read a lot um some of the smartest people you'll ever meet so yes but um i think uh they're from poland so the sure. pronunciation yeah. should be depeche i and i have said it wrong in a talk before and been politely corrected afterwards by um i think it was vic fearing uh in all of his might, they're uh, saying, by the way, I think it's Depeche. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I think so. it's true story. My first or second or third episode of Scaling Postgres, someone sent me a link and said, uh, you're saying PostgreSQL wrong. And sent me a link that had the audio file of how the community pronounces, because I, I can't remember what I used, but it wasn't PostgreSQL. And <laughs> so I'm like, Thank you for, if you were one of those people that, you know, kindly say, uh, I think you're saying it wrong. <laughs> yeah, but but also I'm I'm kind of in favor of not correcting people. Like what you know what they meant? Like it's no one that true. says post-sequel. Yeah, There's no confusion what you're talking about. Um I'm I'm all for being kinder and like if one of your first interactions with the community is you're wrong, it's not it doesn't feel super welcoming. So yeah, I I take your point. It is nice to know how it is how to not sounds like you don't know what you're talking about in front of a room of people or something. <laughs> but the rest of us, I think, once once you know, remember we didn't know once as well. And and if yeah. you want to cheat, just uh, the simple version of it is just call it Postgres. Sure. 
that's what I tend to do. I can't have many times I've had to like recording scaling Postgres episodes. I I just mumble over the words. But yes, Postgres is much easier. Yeah. I've forgotten where we were. Uh, explain. So yeah, do we like do I, do I see it as uh, difficult I, I, to read and Yeah, yeah, and 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 you said that's exactly kind of why you're you know, building PG must the PG mustard tool. Well, yeah, so explain.depesh.com and a newer one that's uh, the, the one that was around at the time that we started was uh, called Tatians. Uh, it was um PEV, PEV, Postgres Explain Visualizer, much more visual version. Uh, the Depeche one preserves the text format, whereas the Depev one makes it more visual. That's been kind of taken over and uh, a version two of that's been built by the team at Dalibo. And both of those tools do a good job, in my opinion, of at least the basic timing calculations. So which operation took the most time if you try and assign appropriate amounts of time to each one. Now, it's not, uh, it's, you can't always break it into like neat, uh numbers that add up to a hundred percent but they at least take the um simplest approach of subtracting each child operation from its parent operations multiplying by the number of loops so all the things that we're trying to do in our head when we're reading a text format explain without one of these tools that's the bare minimum like so first work out where the time is going that was a problem but those tools mostly solve it like there's some edge cases um, that I've spent far too long looking into, um, but then there's always that. Like even with those tools, quite often the next step is okay. That bit's slow, but what can I do to speed it up? Is right. is the next thing. And even people like regular developers. And I'm not talking about Postgres DBAs, but regular developers, even ones with like 15 years experience, really exceptional Rails developer, for example, might only look be looking at a slow explain plan a couple of times a year. Or like maybe they don't have a performance issue a couple of times a year. And I don't know about you, but things I only do a couple of times a year, I don't remember like the details of. And it's um, so putting that context back in front of somebody when they need it felt like an opportunity and helping them with that next step of, okay, so this part's slow, but what can you do about it? Or what are your options? Like, do you have multiple options? Uh, might it be this kind of issue? Might it be that kind of issue? Like sometimes it's not, even with the information we have, it's not obvious um, whether if you improved the, for example, the row estimates to help the planner make better decisions, would that change the plan or would it not? Did it have a choice or is it, is, would it reach that threshold or would it not? You, you literally don't know if there's only, if you're only looking at one execution plan. So you, giving advice in a way that's kind of treating people as the expert of their own domain and just saying, well, in Postgres, this might be the issue, but it, it might not try this, come back, see if it's improved. Um, so yeah, it felt like there was an opportunity there that could maybe help these good developers that just don't have to use Postgres all day, every day. Okay. If that makes sense. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, that's, so that's pretty much what the PG mustard tries to do. With regard to that? Yeah, so, yeah, good point. Um, it's, we visualize, so we are a visualization tool. We will do it similar mm -hmm. to uh, the Dalibo tool now. It's, it's, it doesn't preserve the text format. So you don't, 
like with with Depeche, one of the nice things for experts and probably like for yourself, you might prefer that tool because you still, even though you get the timing calculations, it still shows you what the text format was on the right hand side. So if you if you need to fall back to that or want to fall back to that, it's still there for you. We don't, and Dalibo doesn't. But what we what we do instead is add tips. So on each operation, you'll see a series of issues that might be the case, and then they'll be scored. So depending on how likely they are to speed up your query, a bunch of them will be scored zero. This is unlikely to have any impact, like, or, or even like, they, we call them anti-tips. So like cash performance here was hundred percent, zero out of five. So not like nothing you can do here will help. Um, but the top three issues we spot across the whole query plan. So we do a bunch of like, so it's, it's just an algorithm basically, um, bunch of calculations and the top issue or the one that if, if a, if a tip could like drastically improve the performance of your query, we'll give it five stars. Um, if it's like moderate, it will be somewhere like three stars, four stars. If it's like, could make a small difference, it'd be like one or two. So it's, it's scored tips and then we'll only highlight the top three. So here's the first thing to look into. Here's the second thing to look into. And if that, if neither of those helped, here's a, here's a, a, a last chance, like a, I guess, baseball style. Um, one last go at the problem. So out of curiosity, do you keep any metrics about the plans that are input? And do you have an example of like the most insane, how many lines a particular query is that they've submitted? I ask so, because I know, I, I know at times, like in my consulting, I, someone comes to me and says, Hey, this query is slow. And I look at the explain plan and it's like 200 <laughs> lines <laughs> of explain. I'm like, all right, time to get to work. <laughs> yeah. So two answers quickly. First answer, no. We we do give people the option of storing their plans with us, um, but it's off by default. And I'm kind of glad. Like it's very we're quite privacy conscious, and we'd rather not. Or well, you yeah. can't lose data you don't have. And query plans can contain sensitive information because you're often pasting the real query into. Like if you. You, if you want to do performance work, you kind of have to have realistic test data. Realistic test data until relatively recent, well, it is, it is possible to create, of course it is, but most people don't bother. Most people use their production data. So still to this day, sadly, I'm, uh, that still seems to be true. Um, so it can contain like PII in your query yeah. plan. So but for those reasons, we don't store them by default. So we don't, uh, and opt-in rate is low. Like we might get 5% of plans submitted, get stored. Um, so no, I don't have great stats on that, but the, the second thing, um, because we're software as a service, we do like have had the odd case where people have pushed the upper size limit. So bear in mind, I'm talking about JSON format plans, which we, until a year or two ago, we only supported JSON format plans, not text format plans. And the JSON is bigger. So you have, well, you have yeah. white space, but you also have every key and value. And whereas in the text, it's pretty much just values and um, multiple per line as well. So, oh, and on top of that, we suggest people request buffers, as we talked about before, which actually includes t 10 to 12, keys per node 
So that 200 line one you're talking about, that's another 200 times 10, so at least another 2,000 lines to the plan. And out uh, verbose as well we put on, which doesn't, uh, despite the name, doesn't add as much as buffers, yeah. uh, but it can if there are lots of columns. Like if a query plan, and this is quite common in things like Rails or other frameworks, often the default will be to return all the columns. And some people have very wide um, uh, tables and that can, if you're returning all the columns at every node of a 200 yeah. node query plan, that's a lot of data as well. But to give you, uh, so the short version is uh, the largest query plan we've had submitted so far was over 50 megabytes. Um, which Okay. <laughs> Right, was yeah, so that at first we couldn't handle that. We now do stuff like we now do a bunch of compression and stuff to be able to handle that yeah. nicely, but still takes a it still thinks for a couple of seconds before processing one of those. And yeah, this again to your point, like processing a 200 line query plan as even as an expert is okay, I'm gonna have to ramp up to this. Whereas we wanted to build something that maybe gives you a shortcut, like if it's all one of those 200 lines is like the entire issue is on one of those 200 lines which it can be how do we get you to there like really quickly and uh, one of the tips i have for people is check the bottom of the query plan first you'll be you'll probably do this naturally anyway but firstly the execution time's there planning time but also so is trigger related information which can be the bottleneck planning time can be the bottleneck and so can just-in-time compilation especially on complex queries um, those are all reported right at the bottom and if the issue is there you can avoid looking at that 200 plan like 200 line plan and just point out oh the issue's already here so yeah there's a couple of shortcuts but we built the tool partly to to be able to avoid people having to look through those two or at least the computer helping you like maybe look at this one first yeah yeah yeah, I in that particular case, like that really long one, it was actually, here's where, you know, you have to, I had to step back and say, all right, I, I think the whole premise is wrong and we need to think how this whole query is. And unfortunately, that's what happens. And you have to rethink the whole thing. And some of that, in the worst case scenarios, goes to, Okay, the schema. All right, the scheme is set up this way, but you're wanting to ask for questions this way. I think there's a little bit of a disconnect, and that if you want faster output, you're probably going to have to make some schema changes. You know, so then there's yep. you know it, it gives you there's points where you need to step back at point you know and say, I mean, it's great when it's like, hey, it's this node. You put the index on this node. Voila. But then, like in this particular case, this really long one, I was like, uh, it wasn't changing the day. Like, we didn't have to change the schema in this case, but it was grouping and summarization and merging things together actually had to be done in a reverse order to get the best performance. I can't really explain clearly more than that, but I just basically had to rethink how the, the query was pro chosen to be processed, but. Yeah, and that's that's part of it as well, right? Like how do you point out when something's pretty much optimal already, even if it's taking three seconds, it's like reading it entirely from cache, it's 
pretty compact like the, it's efficient read wise so this is where the buffers come in you've not got a bloated table or bloated index but you're returning 30,000 rows or you're doing a count over them or you're doing some big aggregation and you have to look at all those right that all of that data and how do you point out to people that that's quite efficient already maybe you need a rethink and there's that's a tricky problem for tools um and for humans right like a, a tricky yeah. problem full stop uh, things we've tried to do are trying to not provide tips when there aren't any good things to do like tr it's okay to have no tips if something's fast already or if something's efficient already doesn't mean it's fast if something's like pretty optimal for what postgres can currently handle don't like try and give only zeros and say look this is uh this might be all right already um or you have to have a rethink maybe you're going to need to pre-aggregate or maybe you're going to have to estimate or maybe maybe you're going to have to do some other thing like you mentioned yeah i think it's it's this are you familiar with the concept of like local maxima mm -hmm. yeah so it's like when you have some of these complex queries, you can optimize little bits and pieces here, but what you've optimized for is a local maxima. And then, but if you totally rethink how you're doing it, you find far away another point that gives you 10 times greater performance for, I mean, just spitballing here, you know, then it's like, oh, if we totally change how we're, th that's kind of what I'm talking about. If you totally change how we're thinking about it, we can achieve this type of performance. So a lot of times if the solution's not simple, like, oh, this index or partial index or, you know, whatever it may be, I, I from a, because I'm speaking from a consulting perspective, I kind of have to like step back and say, all right, let me rethink how we could potentially do this to get, you know, to get the best performance or, be, you know, it's basically the what if scenario, you know, what if we didn't have to use the schema? What if we could do things this way or, you know? Yeah. What if we didn't need this query? Like the best way of speeding something up is not doing it at all. Like, but as, as, as a consultant, you have to ask questions to be able to know whether that's even an option, right? Like you yeah, have to yeah. think what's the context that this query is being run in. Like how often does that need to be done? Is it, does it change? Does the result change? Like how often does it change? Um, there's a bunch of context you need for that um, as well. So yeah, uh, this is why, and, and also by the way, we mentioned indexes being like this separate case, but sometimes you don't want to add an, even if the index in this case would speed things up a thousand X, this query is a reporting query run once a month. And on a really high ingest table that's being like that needs to be able to handle super high peaks adding that index might not be a good idea for you in your specific case like this it's it's rarer like i think we give it as an example for yeah, reasons yeah but no, almost nothing in performance is free like there's almost always a trade-off at some level um and that I, that's why i find it personally very interesting but it also makes advice difficult because the, and you can't just always say it depends right like you have people want some for some opinion yeah so, it's yeah. like i was just doing a performance optimization for some or looking into something and i'm like okay i can think of because they were wanting something in real time but the amount of data they had to 
parse trying to achieve real time to get the answer. Like they were using triggers to try to get real time answers to something storage of data. <laughs> but the problem <laughs> is they had to go through all of accounts, like in an in insert or an update, they had to go through all of these accounts to update something. And they started experiencing problems with updates unlocking. And yep. it's like, okay, you know, we're at the point where something's got to give. So, you know, I, I gave them here are the four options. And from a business case, you know, here's ways to achieve it. This is the most, this will require the most effort to implement. It's the most complex, but it can give you real time data without you know causing blocking right this one is easier to implement um but you have eventual consistency eventually the data will be updated you know so it's just giving them these options is all right which option do you want yeah exactly and that's where we get this, the hardest trade-offs right at the limits yeah. of things yeah um yeah and it's it's great I, that's partly why i love it it's not there's not just like a an obvious answer there's very much which of these do you want over the other one and by the and you can't have both no matter how much money you throw at this <laughs> you can't have both yep it's like you know when running projects was it time cost scope pick two or whatever you know yeah definitely trade-offs yeah I, one thing you had said about the explain is also talking about the importance of uh, testing on realistic size data sets did you want to talk about that a little bit yeah so this is one of those things that i get is tricky um but it also trips people up a bunch so we could be like a lot of the time people are using explain is around looking at let's say a production workload if if the server's busier than we want it to be or we would like to 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 reduce our instance size or some, something that's like system wide um it's often very useful for looking at those most expensive queries but the, another time it can be useful is when you're building a new feature but for your new feature you might not have data yet like so um there's like test scenarios you might want to build um it, on the flip side if you are trying to speed up one of the like existing queries but you're working locally and you don't have access to production you might be struggle to reproduce the performance issues on production and that that's like a multifaceted problem it's, it's not just query size there might be other like how busy the server there might be all sorts of other reasons as well but the but the primary issue the primary thing i see trip people up is data volume so those two cases one is trying to reproduce issues locally and the other is trying to build a new feature and basically thinking performance is fine, but realizing quite quickly once it hits production that performance is, or at least on some larger customers, uh, once they have a bit of data, performance is not fine. So the the reason for that is the execution plan would, and it, we mentioned it briefly, I guess, the execution plan changes depending on the amount of data. And that that's the big, factor it's normally the number of rows are the the biggest factor on which on, on the costs on that that cost-based optimizer yeah. so the cost of doing certain things is cheaper at the beginning than at the so how to explain this sometimes you have a two two big uh costs one is the cost of getting started 
and then there's the incremental cost of each additional row. So if we're scanning a table sequentially, the cost of getting started is nearly zero. Uh, we we could just just start like we just start scanning like start reading a book open open the first page and keep going to the second third fourth but the cost of each doing each one uh, after that isn't is about the same as the first one like it's it adds up over time whereas an index scan the cost of doing that first lookup is a bit more expensive you have to go to the back have to find it in the index like and, and then go to the page so for, if we just want any one page, we're better off just scanning it sequentially because we don't have to go to the index first and look it up and things. But very quickly, if once we want more than four, if we want a specific page or if we want one that contains some information, very quickly, our expected cost of looking up in the index overtakes the cost of looking at things sequentially. And the same is true for join algorithms. So for a small, if we're joining a very small thing with another uh, another thing, a nested loop might be a most efficient thing because there's very little cost to getting started. Whereas once we're joining more medium-sized things, uh, hashing those in advance, even though that costs a bit more upfront, saves us on that incremental cost of, of further ones. So it's the size of these relations or the size of the tables um, that is the primary driver in these cost-based uh, decisions on join order, uh, join algorithm scan choice and it really trips people up i think in two two things one is this was fast on my dev machine why is it slow i had some data you know that that's the first one but then it also trips people up in the opposite direction like i've got 100 rows and i've got i've definitely added the index that i know will make this fast but when i run explain postgres it won't use my index why won't it use my index yeah. And that's because even though you've got 100 rows, they're all on one eight kilobyte page still in Postgres. And it's easier for it to just scan the only page in that table to give it you back instead of looking up in an index. Like someone gave you a one page um, PDF and uh, says, could you write an index for this? Like it, I happily do it for you, but it's not going to save you much time look, scanning that PDF, especially because Postgres can only like the minimum amount it will return is one page. Yeah, yeah. Is that, well, is that, what would you add to that? No, I mean, pretty. That that's it. I mean, because you know, as you had said, it's a cost-based optimizer, and it looks at these statistics: how the mm -hmm. amount of data, the ratio of data, uh, the cardinality of values within columns to make determination on the plan it's going to use. So, if you have a local dev environment that's going to be entirely different from production or even if you have a larger like a staging area that the data is a little bit larger it's still not going to give you the same results as production because maybe that's fabricated data and this, it'll give you entirely different plans so absolutely you know when i do a consulting engagement you know one of my requests is can i have a replicated copy of production to do my performance testing um because I'd rather not touch production, <laughs> but having the copy of the data as it exists, at least from a point in time, removes so many variables uh, from the equation of getting different plans. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, so one area that you were talking about also was uh, wanted to talk about is PGE stat statements, which 
that is, that is my favorite ex extension, <laughs> given I like to do performance optimization. But uh, which what's your experience with using it? Yeah, I would love to hear more about yours as well. Um, my experience is mostly from people who don't know, like whose system is overloaded or they have performance issues, but they don't know what's causing it. Um, but I have found it also, like it is just as useful for, um, well, yeah, I guess it's, I guess it is most useful for that, but there's a bunch of other, there's like a bunch of specific things you can look for as well. So, um, it's a system view that's, that's off by default as well. Um, I'd love, well, I think I'd love to see it on by default and increasingly I come across people, customers, friends that are using cloud providers. So it tends to be on by default in most of those these days, which is good. Um, but it's a, yeah, it's a system view that will track your statements in an, in a normalized fashion. So, uh, two queries that let's say one is a select ID from customers where ID equals X and where ID equals Y, those, those two queries would be normalized to the same query. So you can see, uh, which, which query kind of groups are responsible for the most time spent in execution or the most buffers that is in there as well, like most IO. So you might be, if you're on Aurora or some other database that charges you based on your IO instead of on, uh, on like just a standard fixed cost, you might be looking at which queries taken uh, doing the most IO. So you might want to order by that. So, but I, and probably you normally order by total execution time. I tend to add planning time to that as well and order by that, but it doesn't normally change much. Um, yeah. so yeah, you know, it's, it's normally for the, so going. No, I, you, you bring up a very good point at, at the beginning where you were talking about on by default. And I was like, yeah, why isn't this in the core? I would really love to have it in the core and just on. And then, you know, I'm sure the concern is, well, we don't want to track too many queries. And it, I guess it does hurt performance. I mean, I mean you know, it's the, was the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. Basically, you are having a cost on the system by having it on but it really is quite minimal. And could they just have a very, you know, minimal configurations like, oh, it just tracks the last hundred queries, you know, something very small in the configuration parameters, and then you can choose to bump it up. But yeah, I, I would definitely endorse having it <laughs> as a part of core as opposed to an extension. But yeah, I think you're right. I think people are scared of the overhead and to, to their credit or, to, or in their defense, if if somebody's benchmarking, let's say MySQL versus PostgreSQL, it'd be kind of nice if we weren't uh, putting loads of features on by default that were costing us performance-wise on those stupid benchmarks that don't configure anything. Um, but on the flip side, I think it's uh, for users, for real users, not people benchmarking, it's so valuable and it's valuable in hindsight. So if yeah. my system is loaded now, it's really useful to know what's been run in the past. Like, what has work has been happening if i only find out like if if you or i get contacted by a friend or a customer saying my postgres is on fire help me and they don't have pgstat statements installed we're somewhat limp like and if, and if they don't have any logging on which is mostly off by default as well 
it's, it can be difficult to help them. Like you, it, it, you're definitely at disadvantage or it takes you longer to help them than it would if this was on by default. Yeah. But yeah, so it's, I get that it's a trade-off. Like we were talking about performance is a trade-off, right? But I think normally the performance overhead is worth it. And I've heard, a, I think I'm stealing this from, I think I heard Jeremy Schneider quote it. And I think it was from a, an Oracle performance expert, maybe Tom Kite, maybe somebody else. And they said, they were asked to estimate the overhead of all of Oracle's instrument, instrumentation on performance. And they they thought about it and then they said negative 10%. He said, if we had none of this, it would be at least 10% slower than it than uh, otherwise because of all the improvements we've been able to make because of this instrumentation. So I thought that was a neat way of looking at it as well. It's like, yeah, sure, there might be like single digit, maybe I've seen some estimates that it could be as high as 2% on some systems, but I've never been able to measure it. Never, not even close to 2% for sure from, for the systems I've uh, worked on. And if, but the queries we've sped up because having, of having that on have definitely improved yeah. performance overall by more than 10 or 20%. So I, I like that answer. Yeah. 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 Cause it's, it's gotta be minimal and at a small instance size, you know, performance, the incremental doesn't matter that much anyway. You know, it's, yeah. Anyway, I'm sure others in the community or at least of the core team would definitely have their, their opinions on it. Um, yeah. So, um, as we start to wrap up, are there any other things you wanted to cover or any common issues that, that you see or, common issues that you see developers doing that they can maybe do differently to improve their Postgres experience? Yeah, let me think. So I would like if you it, check, it'd be great to check if you do have PGStat statements on already, uh, just in case you ever need it in the future. Um, pretty simple query you can do if you even, I think anybody can query it just uh, using show. Um, but yeah, on the explain side, if you're reading them by hand or using uh, like a Depeche style tool, I would inc highly encourage people to look at filtered rows, not just from sequential scans. So not that when they're looking for index potential, I see a lot of people see index scan and then ignore it. Don't look any further than that. But if it's if an index scan is still filtering tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of rows and by like bear in mind that loops number that's yep. still really inefficient you're still doing loads of work that you don't need to do so that's a big one for people that are even a bit familiar with this already that i see a lot of people miss and um yeah the only other one that is a whole topic in itself is it's worth learning about multi-column indexes uh, and that the and and how the order matters in those I see a lot of even experienced developers not understand how much the order of those matters for serving different queries. And if you get the right multi-column index, you can you can make a single query extremely fast and you can probably avoid having to add two or three indexes if you can get the right ordering across those and serving multiple queries with that same multi-column index. Yep. So well worth learning about those. Definitely. All right. So thanks so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge. I greatly appreciate it. Um, I hope you guys enjoy that as well. 
Uh, please go ahead and like and subscribe. If you want to get more insight into what's going on with the Rubber Duck Dev Show, get notifications of the episodes and the different content that's being released in terms of our videos, be sure to visit rubberduckdevshow.com and uh, go ahead and sign up for our mailing list. Uh, apart from that, uh, again, Michael, thank you so much for coming on. And for everyone else, I'll see you next week. And until then, happy coding. Thanks, Kristen. Thanks for having me. Take care, everyone.